for the Lions and things like that. And I know it's hard being in Georgia and Alabama and you're used to winning and used to being in the college football playoffs. It's like, just going to prepare your hearts. This is the year that there will be no SEC team in the college football playoffs. And that's okay. And we can talk about that later. That's all I'm going to say about it. I've already had a number of conversations, and I promised Ricardo I wouldn't say any more. So we're done. Don't even bother looking, okay? Don't even bother checking out the rankings when it comes out here later, okay? Anyways, moving on. We have something better to talk about. Today, we're going to be in Ecclesiastes 7, 1 through 14. So actually 1 through 12. Um, Let's read this together. A good name is better than precious ointment. And the day of death than the day of birth. It is better to go to the house of mourning than to go to the house of feasting. For this is the end of all mankind, and the living will lay it to heart. Sorrow is better than laughter. For by sadness of face the heart is made glad. The heart of the wise is in the house of mourning, but the heart of fools is in the house of mirth. It is better for a man to hear the rebuke of the wise than to hear the song of fools. For as the crackling of thorns under a pot, so is the laughter of the fools. This also is vanity. Surely oppression drives the wise into madness, and a bribe corrupts the heart. Better is the end of a thing than its beginning. And the patient in spirit is better than the proud in spirit. Be not quick in your spirit to become angry, for anger lodges in the bosom of fools. Say not, why are the former days better than these? For it is not from wisdom that you ask this. Wisdom is good with an inheritance, an advantage to those who see the sun. For the protection of wisdom is like the protection of money, and the advantage of knowledge is that wisdom preserves the life of him who has it. Consider the work of God. Who can make straight what he has made crooked? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word, for speaking to us. And we just ask that you would open up our ears to hear and our hearts to receive it. Lord, for we don't want to just be hearers only, but we want to be those who hear and those who do. Lord, we want to fear you and obey your commandments. We want to love you and worship you and live out our lives glorifying you. We want to enjoy everything that you have given to us. We want to live the lives you've created us to live. And so, Lord, we ask that as we spend time in this section of Scripture, Lord, you would accomplish your good purposes. We desperately need you. And we trust, Lord, that this is your goodwill, that you're at work right now in all of our lives. And so, Lord, work out your goodwill for your glory and for our good. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. So at the end of chapter 6, Solomon asks two questions. Verse 12, he says, For who knows what is good for man while he lives the few days of his vain life? 
which he passes like a shadow. And then the second question is this, for who can tell man what will be after him under the sun? The first question is basically asking, who knows what is good for us? Who knows how we should live out our lives and, and how should we live it out in a, in a good way, knowing that we only have one life to live? And it's not a very long life. And the second question just asks, okay, so then when this life is over, who, who really knows what's, what's after this short life? And these are great questions. This is kind of what Solomon is after as he's taking us through this letter. He, he's just trying to find the purpose. What, what's the point of living? And then if you're going to live, like how, how should we live? What does a good life actually look like? And so these are great questions. And these are questions I, I hope you, you love as we've been spending time together in this book. It just helps us to kind of just stop and pay close attention to our own lives and the world around us and to think about this truth. If God has created us in his image after his likeness, and if he has sent his son Jesus to redeem us and save us, then, then, then what should we be doing with our lives? What, what does a good life actually look like? And if you're honest, you've probably been trying to find that good life since you breathed your first breath. As you've been faced with just many decisions over your life, you've made some good decisions, you probably made some bad decisions, and we could sit around and, and have a little small group meeting and just share, this was the worst decision I ever made, and, and this was the best decision I ever made, and, and we could laugh about some of these things, we could cry together with one another, and we could just say, man, if I had a redo, I would redo this over, but I would never redo this, and, and we're just trying to figure out Lord, what have you actually called us to? What kind of life do you really want us to live? And so Solomon, he's been searching for that. And he's been sharing his wisdom with us, trying to help us answer these questions. So they're great questions for us to think about. During this one life, we can do many things. And I know you already know this. You, you could work anywhere you want. We, we live in the United States of America, and we experience a lot of freedom here. And you have the freedom to continue to work at the job you're working at, or you have the freedom to go find a different job. And so you have a lot of decisions to make. We can live almost anywhere in the world. I know you live here. Some of you probably grew up here. I grew up in Michigan, then I lived in Virginia Beach, and then I lived in Maryland for a year, and now I'm here. I go to places like Florida on vacation. I love that. And if I could live anywhere in the world that I personally would just want to, I'd live, like to live on a beach somewhere. Just give me an ocean. And I want waves. I love the, go, the gulf, but I want waves. So you, you can live anywhere you want. You, you have a ton of freedoms and a ton of decisions to make. A lot of opportunities in this country, and, and we can feel overwhelmed at times, can't we, with the amount of choices that we have for the lives that we get to live. Now, you guys know I'm, I'm not a big fan of traveling, though, even though I've lived in different places. I, I don't really love to travel, and, and one of the reasons I don't love to travel is that inevitably our family when we're traveling, we'll have to stop to eat somewhere. And this is one of those things that I literally have to prepare my heart for. And it's a little bit of how I am. I'm kind of a selfish guy. I like to get in the car and stop as few times as possible 
and just get there. And I'm a big fan of like, let's just pack lunches like peanut butter and jelly and just old school and just get there. Just survive on chips if you have to. Just whatever it is, put it in the cooler and then let's just get there. But the rest of my family is not like that. You pack a peanut butter and jelly, ham, sandwich, it don't matter what it is, they're not eating it. We'll get to where we're at and they'll starve themselves if I make them get there and we'll open up that cooler and everything will be in there except for all the junk food. And so one of the reasons I do not like to travel is that inevitably we have to make a decision where we're going to stop to eat. And so what we do is somebody eventually from the back, and I don't bring it up. Just so you know, this is my game plan. I don't bring up, hey, it's getting to be lunchtime. I know we should probably stop to eat. I don't bring it up on purpose because it's a game I kind of play. And so inevitably it comes from the back or my wife will say, hey, I'm getting hungry. And what that means is, okay, we have about an hour. I can hold them out for an hour. And so we begin to Google this thing or map it, probably map it. And you put in what? Restaurants nearby. And you're kind of looking for things. And again, one of the reasons I don't like is a bunch of stuff pops up. Too many choices. And everybody in my family can't decide on where they actually want to eat because it's based upon how they feel at the moment. And so you may get into the car thinking we're going to hit Panera or we want to hit Chick-fil-A. Or you're driving home and it's a Sunday and you can't hit Chick-fil-A. So you've got to find something else. And everybody's got an idea and so they shout them out. And I always tell them, okay, you decide because I'm just driving. And then again, that's... I'm buying more time. And so eventually a decision is made. But by the time a decision is made in our car, guess what happens? It's behind us two miles. And I ain't turning around to go to that place. So then you look at it and it's like, oh, and I love it because you got an extra 30 minutes of driving to get to the next place. But you get the point. The point is there's so many decisions we have to make. So many decisions. Those are just silly decisions. But we have a lot of freedom, a lot of choices in just life. Where do you want to go to college? You can go anywhere you want as long as you have good grades for it. You can just do so many things, and it can be overwhelming at times. And when we think about our lives, God has called us to live them. And he's called us to live them in a certain way. And what Solomon is going to help us to sort of discern this morning is how to actually live a good life. A good life, one, one that has a little bit of meaning, one that has some purpose to it, one that ultimately glorifies God, one that, if we're honest, we all really want, one that we have to fight the temptation to not want when our sinfulness comes in and our selfishness, and we just want to pursue what, what makes us happy at the moment, but, but Solomon is in search of what's the good life? We all want that, Right? Who doesn't want a good life? And so he's going to help us discern what that good life looks like. And so we're going to look at four points this morning that sort of guide us in the direction of discerning the type of lives that God has called us to live by faith, trusting in Jesus for everything. So in our first point, we learned this. A good life is lived out with the end in view. Again, he's helping us discern how we're called to live. So a good life is lived out with the end in view. In verse 1, Solomon shares with us a double comparison by telling us a good name is better than precious ointment and the day of death than the day of birth. All four of these things that he's comparing here, they're, they're all good things, aren't they? 
There's, there's not really a negative thing there. They're, they're all good things. And he's just saying, if you've got to choose between these two things, this is the one you should choose. This one's better than that one. Not trying to put the other one down in any ways. It's just saying this one's, this one's the better choice if you have to choose. As you're thinking about the life in which God has called you to live. And Solomon said something similar in Proverbs 22. And what I'd say is if you're looking at this, this section probably feels a lot like Proverbs. Just a lot of like, just some wisdom here. Hey, think about this and think about that. Think about how this really applies to all of life and it works itself out in this way. And it's good for you to maybe chew on it a little bit and, and seek to discern what God's calling you to do because of it. And so there's, a, there's principled truths found in these Proverbs here. And so you're going to see a lot of better than statements. So in Proverbs 22, he said something similar. He said, a good name is to be chosen rather than great riches. And favor is better than silver or gold. And so back in Solomon's day, I'm assuming you guys know this, precious ointments, scented oils, and other fragrances like that, body lotions, all that kind of stuff, they were hot commodities. And one of the reasons they were a a hot commodity, meaning like you wanted this, is because life wasn't like life we experience today. Not a whole lot of showers in people's homes. You get what I'm saying? So the majority of what you would experience as you just seek to live life back in that day is just a lot of smelly people. Okay? Not a lot of good smells coming from the majority of people. And so it, it, was, it was of value for you to have some fragrance. It was of value for you to have some ointment because it, it just it made you more appealing. It, it made you more attractive in the sense of people would want to sit next to you in church as opposed to this person. Does that make sense? And so what he's saying here is, is even though this is really valuable, you all would love to have the best perfume and the best cologne, the most valuable. It's better to have good character. If you had to choose between one or the other, he's saying a good name should be chosen. It's better to have a good name and, and good character than, than all the riches in the world. It's better. A good life is marked by good character. And this can't just be sprayed on, as it takes time and the grace of God to establish. When you think about a good name and good character, any person who's older, what they would teach you is that a good name is built one decision at a time. It's built up one day after another. Trustworthy people will tell you the truth And they'll do what's right consistently. Just think about somebody that you know and you say, that's a good man. That's a good woman. And then just start to think about them and and figure out, well, why would you say he's a good man? Like I'd say, Chuck is a good man. And the reason I can say Chuck is a good man, I've lived life with Chuck for 18 years. And I've never heard any person, maybe in his home could say this, but any person realistically say, anything bad about Chuck in regards to serving. The man is a servant, gives his life away. This church, what you experience today, in many ways has been built upon his sacrificial service and his wife's. 
18 years of decision after decision after decision to deny himself, pick up a cross, and set up everything. To drop things, to go serve his family, to go serve friends, to go serve and be generous to people he just met at Starbucks. And that's built one decision after another. And so a good name, it takes time. It takes sacrifice. So the question for us this morning is it just kind of confronts us is, is what kind of name do you have? Would you choose a good name, a good character over the best gift you could possibly receive in this world? What, what do other people say about you? This is a good thing. So when we read Ecclesiastes, you have to think he's trying to help us be discerning. He's trying to help us realistically think about who we are today in regards to what we actually believe. And so I say that with you because, because when you, you think about what kind of name you have, it's not what kind of name do you want to have, it's what name do you have today? And I would encourage you to invite other people into your life to just help you. Those closest to you, those that know you, and say, okay, when you think of me, what do you think of? When I walk into the room, what what comes to your mind? Is it refreshing or is it repelling? People who are wearing really nice perfume or cologne, what they do is they attract people. So the question is, does your character attract people? Now, this first comparison, what it does is it sort of sets up what's going on in the rest of this section. As a good name is better than ointment, so is the day of death better than the day of birth, he tells us. Now, this seems a bit strange, doesn't it? Sometimes Solomon can get just a little bit dark for us, but, but he's got a point behind all of this. So why would he say that dying is better than living? Well, I, I think we look to the Apostle Paul, and, and he kind of sheds some light on that. Okay, so he's not saying that the day of being born is bad. That's a great day. I see all these babies here. We celebrate that, right? But what Solomon is saying, that's a great day, but a better day is when we die. And the Apostle Paul says this in Philippians 1.21. He says, for me to live is Christ and to die is gain. If I am to live in the flesh, that means fruitful labor for me. And so he's saying, yeah, it's great. If I'm going to be alive, I'm going to live for Christ. And that's a wonderful thing. I get to breathe every breath and do everything I can to glorify God. But he goes on, he says, yet which shall I choose? I cannot tell. And so he's torn. I'm hard pressed between the two. I'm hard pressed between living and dying. And he says this, my desire is to depart and be with Christ for that is far better. So living here on earth for the glory of God, it's a great thing. But living in heaven with Jesus, that's far better, he says. I think we'd all agree, especially the older you get. Talk to somebody who's older, who's lived some life. They love living life. I love living life. But almost every day I just think, Lord, any day you want to come back, that's okay. Any day we can go to a place where there's no more sin, no more suffering, no more conflict, no more disappointments, and we get to be together in heaven... I'll take that. So our dying day is the day, listen, that we enter this better world, a perfect world with greater purity and joy, with perfect rest, with perfect people, without any sin, conflict, or death. It's a day Jesus will welcome us home. And it's on this day when we die where we get to begin to live our eternal lives 
as we were meant to live them. This is why dying is better than being born. Death is our entrance into heaven. This is also why we celebrate Christ's death on the cross. I know it's Christmas time, it's Advent time, and and we're celebrating the fact that Jesus was born into this world as a little baby in a manger, this very lowly, humble birth. But, but, But the birth doesn't save us. The birth is important. His birth is amazing. God coming to earth as a man. Fully God, fully man, growing into a man. It's absolutely amazing. And you can't have the death without the birth, but, but it's his death on the cross where he paid the penalty for all of our sins. This is why day, dying is better than being born. And a good life recognizes that death is better than life because death is our entrance into God's glory. He goes on and he shares this. He says, it is better to go to the house of mourning than to go to the house of feasting. For this is the end of all mankind and the living will lay it to heart. Sorrow is better than laughter for by sadness of face, the heart is made glad. The heart of the wise is in the house of mourning, but the heart of fools is in the house of mirth. And what he means by the house of mirth is just a house of amusement, a house of laughter, a house of celebration. So what he says here basically, is that it's better for us to go to a funeral than it is for us to go to a wedding celebration. Again, these two can kind of seem a bit strange, but all of these things, they they seem to really just sort of get our attention. And that's kind of what he's after here. He's, He's helping us to kind of stop and to actually think about our lives. Weddings aren't bad. Birthday celebrations aren't bad. Graduation parties, they're great. They bring a lot of joy. They bring a lot of laughter. But what they don't bring us, really, is they don't bring us a time of reflection. Unless you're the father of the bride. And you reflect a lot, but that's very rare. So most celebrations you go to, you find yourself clapping a lot and rooting people on. You don't, you don't go to your favorite football game and celebrate their win and stop and think, what am I really living for? But when you go to a funeral, a good funeral, what takes place? You're confronted. You're confronted by the fact that you're not guaranteed your next breath. You're confronted by every person who gets up there and and shares something about whoever it is they're seeking to honor that has just passed away. A good funeral causes everyone present to think about their life. Think about who they believe in and what they really want to do with their life. A good funeral is a gift from God that he has given to us. Now, we've had a number of people pass away in our church over the last 18 years. And there are many days I think about these folks. If I've had the privilege of, of helping them pass away and die from this life to the next. And there are many days I think about two of my friends. And I'm sure many of you do as well. Gary Whalen and Trevor Sanford. Both of these men were good men. Godly men. They both had good names, and they both trusted in and followed Jesus Christ. And what I'd say is they all died too soon. But their deaths have left a massive impact upon me and, I would say, our church. 
in good ways. I have a son who just turned 20. And I think almost every day, and he, I don't know what he thinks about this, but I do. I just think Trevor, Trevor never made it to 21. I had the privilege of doing his funeral. But I think about every 20-year-old, when somebody turns 20, I just think, how many more breaths do you get? I think about my, my buddy Gary Whalen. I don't know that he, he got to see any of his grandkids. A good man, kind man, generous man. But I, I watched him die. And I watched him carry around with him this, this stack of three by five cards that people would give him scripture verses. Other, he would write it down himself and he would just memorize these things because he knew what was happening. He knew where he was going. And he was preparing himself. And I also watched him die well. This, this man died well in preparing Anita in her home. And Gary, Gary he, he wrote the book on it. Again, just, just the, their gifts from God to us died too soon, but their funerals serve, just like every other funeral you get to go to, they serve and they just stop us for a moment and they say, who are you? What will your kids say about you? What kind of name do you have? Are you trusting in Jesus? Because, because it doesn't matter how much you have in the bank at that point. It doesn't matter at all. It doesn't matter what you wore to church the Sunday before you passed away. What matters is, who, who did you believe in? Did you really trust in Jesus Christ? Did you really pick up your cross and follow Jesus? That's what funerals do. That's why Solomon would say to us, if you want to live a good life, go to a funeral. Sit in that funeral. I know the temptation. Not a lot of people like funerals. I'm a pastor. I have, I have the privilege of, of officiating these funerals. I don't like thinking about funerals. I love officiating funerals for this reason. But I still have a fear of them because I'm confronted by it. And so Solomon would say, think about your life. Think about who you're actually believing in. Go to a funeral. Douglas O'Donnell wrote the following. He said, death is an enemy but also an evangelist. Death is the great mentor for diligence, sobriety, love, generosity, reverence, and humility. Death forces the most profound questions to be asked, but mercilessly mocks those who sleep through its lessons. Death is like a detox clinic. It sobers us up. It is not the emotionally abusive father. You'll never amount to anything, but rather the effective drill sergeant. Attention. Move out. Time is short. Get to a funeral. Sit there. Think. In our second point, we learn that a good life is shaped by wise people. In these next two verses, we learn that wisdom's rebuke is better than folly's laughter. Verse 5 says, It's better for a man to hear the rebuke of the wise than to hear the song of fools. For as the crackling of thorns under a pot so is the laughter of fools. This also is vanity. But one of the best ways to learn how to live a good, godly life or to live the life that God has created and called you to live, Solomon, Solomon's throwing out here just this, this gold nugget for us. He's saying, listen to the people around you. And not just any person. Listen to wise people that God has placed in your life. Because they know something about life that you don't know, and God's going to use them to help you know. 
right? It makes sense, doesn't it? It makes a lot of sense. So I kind of think about it like this. If you came into a bunch of money and you wanted to learn how to invest that money, save that money, budget that money, and, and be generous with that money and steward it in such a way that it honors God, who would you go talk to? Are you going to talk to the person who doesn't have any money? Who mishandles all of their money and is always asking you for money? Would you go to that person and say, hey, I have a bunch of money. Would you just help me manage it? Would anybody do that? I know sometimes we do, but would you actually intentionally want to do that with your money? No, okay. And so what Solomon is saying, hey, you got one life. God's created you in his image after your likeness. And, and he just says, if you're going to invest your life into anything, I would encourage you to find somebody wise and actually listen to them. Somebody who's running the race. Somebody who, who knows what it means to believe in Jesus and pick up a cross and follow Jesus. And, and when they speak, listen to them. It's better to receive a rebuke from a wise person than to listen to the laughter of fools, he tells us, because the laughter of fools will not lead you to live a life that God has called and created you to live. He says that laughter of fools, it, it, it sounds good. He says it's like a song. So it's got a good beat to it. It, it, it sort of, it, it makes us feel good. It kind of temporarily sort of pleases us in the moment. It's like the, those thorn bushes that are burning in a fire under the pot, he tells us. Kind of a, an interesting illustration, but, but how long do you think those thorn bushes actually burn compared to like maybe just a solid log, oak log? What would you rather have under your pot? Probably not the thorns, but the thorns are the things that attract us because it's making this crackling noise. And it's like, oh, that sounds cool. Look at that person's doing something. Let me go do what they're doing. And what he's saying, no, that's a song of a fool. And fools don't trust in God. They don't follow Jesus. They're not heading in that direction. They just kind of sound cool for a second. And we have a bunch of them in this world. And sometimes those people are our friends. We surround ourselves with them. And he, Solomon just says, listen, if you give in to that, that's just vanity. And remember what that means. It's meaningless. It's worthless. It's, it's a breath breathed out that just vanishes. vanishes. It's, there's no eternal value at all in that. And so what I would say in this moment is if you're under the age of 25, but this applies to all of us, and if you're a teenager and you're living in your home still, Solomon has some serious words of wisdom for you here. And what I mean by that is like when you think about who are the wise people in my life, who do you think those people are? Probably your parents. And I know this as a kid that grew up. I once was a teenager. I had a dad and a mom as well and still do. And I know that season where I thought I just knew better than them. But as I've gotten older, I've just thought, man, I wish I would have listened to my dad. You know, he was right, especially as I have kids, I just think, yeah, he was right. Shocker, hey. But the point here is what Solomon is saying. If you want to live a good life, listen to wise people. And it's not just for the young kids. This is for us as well, older folks. God has called us to live in a certain way. And he's given us a means of grace in the church and godly wise people to push us in the right direction. But the question for us is this. 
are we listening? Do, do we have wise people in our life who are speaking into our lives? An example of this is this. I, I'm going to use pick on Chuck again because he's sitting there. So my daughter just got married this past week. We're running all around and I have friends that are all doing certain things and, and Chuck probably is wondering why I'm running around picking up a bunch of stuff and in the van by myself and I'm, I'm calling Chuck. And I think what I said to him was, Chuck, I just need a pep talk. Like, and what I'm looking for, because I get this from Chuck, is I just want him to remind me again, your job is to serve. Your wife and your daughter have this plan, and they're trying to do all this stuff, and this is what he's just telling me. Just serve. Enjoy it. Drive 100 miles in, in a 10-mile 10, 10 sort of little zone, and, and just enjoy it because this is what God's called you to do. So who are those wise people in your life? Who keeps you on that narrow road? The fourth or the third one is a good life will patiently wait on the Lord. Verse 7 says, Surely oppression drives the wise into madness, and a bribe corrupts the heart. Better is the end of a thing than its beginning, and the Patient in spirit is better than the proud in spirit. Be not quick in your spirit to become angry, for anger lodges in the heart of fools. Say not, why were the former days better than these? For it is not from wisdom that you ask this. So there's a warning in there that power can corrupt people. And then Solomon goes on to teach us that a good life is one that's really marked by patience. And what he's meaning there is that a good life and somebody who's marked by patience really is somebody who's trusting in the Lord. Somebody who understands that God is at work in all things. Things in the past, those better days, and the days you're living right now. So those better days God was at work in, and the days that you might not think are as good as those days, he's really at work in those days as well. For your good. Always, because he's always at work and he's always in control. And he kind of gives us this glimpse and he says, the end is better than the beginning. And again, it's just this perspective we can sometimes lose in the midst of, of whatever it is we're experiencing. When life just sort of starts to, to fall apart and we start to think, man, I wish I could go back there instead of live here today. Or if I can just get on from this to over there, he's just saying, no, there's a better day coming. There is a better day coming. The beginning, that was great. But the end is going to be better. And, and we see this, don't we? In just little things that we experience in life. There's tons of them. I remember redoing my hardwood floors years ago. I had no idea what I'm doing. But a bunch of my friends in the church did. And so we came over and we ripped apart my house. And I remember sitting there and it's just like, oh my, what did I just get into? Everything moved out into the garage and there's nowhere to really live life anymore. And I had about a week to get this done and trying to figure out, is this going to even be straight? And it's weird because here's my, my thought on repairing anything and fixing anything in life is I don't usually know what I'm doing, but I trust a God that Solomon is telling us about right here, that it may start a certain way. And he's going to surprise and delight us along the way. It might not be the way you want him to be surprised and delighted, but he's going to show you something. 
And so when we were doing these hardwood floors, I remember being overwhelmed and trying to figure it out. And there's this one spot in my house, and it's like I'm getting there, and I'm just thinking, I hope this is straight. And a guy like Scott Snyder would make sure it's straight. And when I put down that last piece of wood, it just fit perfectly. And there's no, no reason for it other than God and his mercy and his grace. And the end of that was far better than the beginning. That's just a silly little illustration. You see, we have this hope in God where we will spend eternity with him. Where we will be with Jesus forever. And so life begins and we celebrate babies. People get married and we celebrate that day. But anybody who's been married longer than a week, guess what? We know marriage is hard, isn't it? Sometimes it doesn't last. Sometimes it doesn't work out. Sometimes people work through really hard things. And sometimes, like as he teaches us here, sometimes things are just crooked and you can't be straightened out. And God uses those for our good as well. And so he's saying, don't be angry. Trust the Lord. Don't be surprised when life doesn't go the way you want it to go. Trust that God is at work in all things. And instead of being surprised and angry and grumbling and complaining, I would recommend this. Pause for a moment and just say, Lord, what are you trying to show me right now? Or what are you saying to me? Or Lord, what does it look like for me to fear you and obey you in these circumstances? And then give me the grace to do it. This leads us to our final point, that a good life will value wisdom. In all these better-than statements, Solomon is teaching us the right way to live and the right way to look at life. He ends this section by telling us to value or how valuable wisdom is. Wisdom is good with an inheritance, an advantage to those who see the sun. For the protection of wisdom is like the protection of money, and the advantage of knowledge is that wisdom preserves the life of him who has it. Wisdom is as good as an inheritance, he tells us. So I'm, sure, I'm assuming you guys know people who have an inheritance coming their way. When, when mom and dad, grandma or grandpa, they pass away, you might have a friend that's just like, man, I just have a ton of money coming my way. And I've walked with these people, I talked to these people, and what I'd say is people who have an inheritance coming their way, they get to live life a little freer. You know what I mean? If you knew, just think about this for a second, if you knew that you were going to inherit $10 million in 15 years or in 20 years from now, how would that change your life? When it comes time to invest into your 401k today, would you think about it really hard? Would you fret over it as you think about the end of your life? And so what he's getting at here is is people with inheritance, they, they have this sense of security. And he's just trying to say, that's the value of wisdom. If you gain wisdom and you pursue wisdom, it's like that inheritance. It frees you to live life as God has called you to live. And then he goes on and he just says, not only is it like an inheritance, but it's also like having money in the bank. It's like having a huge emergency fund. You know, emergency funds, they're good, right? So if you have an emergency fund and you lose your job, but you you have three to six months covered, what do you think you're going to feel when you lose your job? 
compared to the person who doesn't have the emergency fund. You're going to feel secure. You're going to feel safe. You're going to feel like you have time to really figure out what God's calling you to do in those moments. And, and he's just using these illustrations just to say, hey, wisdom's really important. If you're going to pray and ask God for something today, Solomon would say, pray and ask that he gives you wisdom. When you wake up in the morning, you're going to have to face a ton of decisions. When you leave here, you've got to decide a ton of things. How are you going to live your life? And Solomon says, get wisdom. It will guide you. It will lead you. It will lead you into trusting God. It will lead you into loving Jesus. It will lead you into picking up a cross and following him. In whatever situation you may be in right now, a good situation or a terrible situation, wisdom will protect you. It'll lead you into what God has created and called you to do. I'm going to end with this quote. Philip Ryken says the following. He says, true spiritual wisdom gives us spiritual vitality as long as we live. And when it comes time for us to die, it will lead us to everlasting life. Sovereign Grace Church, family and friends, let us value wisdom from God. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. We ask that you would just make it effective. Make it effective, Lord. We trust that your word is a wise teacher that guides us and leads us and corrects us. And so, Lord, may we, may we choose your word over the songs of fools. Lord, may we choose to, to pick up and, and just follow Jesus wherever we're at. Lord, may you teach us and give us the strength to deny ourselves and our own foolish desires. And Lord, would you, would you give us the freedom to repent where we need to repent of just being foolish and to trust that, that Lord... You're calling us to come to you. And that there's freedom in trusting in Jesus. And so, Lord, bless us today as we leave. Bless us with fellowship and encouragement. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Thank